regarding uh, our transition to RUF that Pastor Chris mentioned uh, during announcements this morning. Uh, as, as Chris said, oftentimes throughout this whole process, and uh, is God's timing is not our timing. And so this uh, caught us by surprise, and uh, we have been very blessed and continue to be blessed and enjoy uh, the, our time here in, at Trinity and in Rochester and the people here. And so... Um, just thank you to you all, and uh, God has been really, really good to us here, and so we're very thankful for that. Very thankful for you all. So I can say a lot more later, but I wanted to mention that now. So uh, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, go ahead. I invite you to turn to Mark's Gospel. Uh, we'll be in Mark chapter six this morning. I believe that's found on page eight forty-two in the Bible in your seats, and we'll be reading through uh, verses forty-five. To 56 through the end of the chapter. Uh, the events that take place to, uh, in our story today, Jesus walking on the water, uh, come on the heels of Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, where Jesus took uh, five, five loaves of bread and some two fish and, and supernaturally uh, made uh, enough food to feed 5,000 people from. This was a display of his power, a uh, display of his power as the second person of the Trinity. Uh, we saw that taking place in the story just before this. And, uh, and as the crowd that he fed that day, and even his disciples who were there, uh, they didn't really understand uh, what all uh, was taking place. They didn't understand it. They were, in fact, they were hoping to make Jesus king. Uh, John's account of this in John's gospel says that the crowd wanted to make Jesus king. They thought Jesus was going to be this uh, military ruler type king that was going to come in and uh, drive the Romans out and defeat uh, all of Israel's enemies. And so they didn't understand uh, what Jesus was doing uh, there by the display of his, his power. And so Jesus immediately sends the disciples away. We'll see that as we, as we get into our text this morning because he doesn't want them uh, to be influenced by the crowd in, in a wrong way. Uh, Jesus had more to teach them. He had gathered these 12 men together to, uh, to teach them about who he is and what he came to do. And, he, and so he knew that he had more time to spend with them and more teaching uh, that he needed to get done. And so he immediately sends them away because he doesn't want them to be influenced by the crowd. Uh, but and so he had more to teach them. But he also has Jesus has something to teach us through through our text this morning. Uh, and so let's let's turn there now, uh, picking up at verse forty five. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless your word now over these next few moments. That you would teach us 
uh, great things from it, that you would encourage us from your word uh, as we go out and live this week. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In my former life, uh, before going into full-time ministry, I worked in banking for about five or six years uh, after college. And the first job I had was in Athens, Georgia, uh, at a local bank there. And the branch that I was working in was actually their Walmart branch. So what that meant was they had a, a location set up in the front of the store, like you see in many of the Walmarts now. And they had a branch of their bank there. And so I can remember on a couple of occasions uh, in those early days of working there, I worked as a teller. That's what I, uh, where I began uh, my work at was as a, as a teller. And I can remember uh, on a couple of occasions, probably it was on a Friday when uh, the banks are usually busy and people are getting paid and getting uh, paychecks cashed and various other things, uh, I would find myself alone on the teller line uh, and my coworker or two may have been on break somewhere or somebody might have been out sick. Uh, and so uh, the lines uh, getting longer and longer, customers are lining up, and I'm working as hard as I can uh, trying to get people through the line, and, but people keep coming, and, and no matter how hard I worked, uh, the line didn't get any, any uh, shorter. Uh, people are getting checks cashed, they're making deposits, they're uh, having problems with their debit card, they need balances and various other uh, things tended to. And it's me there alone uh, with some line as long as probably out past this, this window over here. Uh, and so uh, I'm all, all alone, like I said, and the line keeps getting longer. It's, it's not getting any shorter and I feel like I'm facing this uh, all, all by myself, getting angry for not having any other help. Uh, co-workers on break, taking a smoke break or doing something. And uh, so I'm facing this all by myself. And maybe you've felt like that before in your life. You're dealing with things uh, all alone and you feel like you have no one there to help you. Uh, the disciples in our text this morning uh, maybe feel this way too. As Jesus has sent them off. He's sent them off uh, by themselves. Jesus is, is on the shore. He's up on the mountain. He's gone up on the mountain to pray. And so the disciples find themselves all alone on the sea. And this wind, this hard wind is against them. And they're making no progress uh, getting, getting across the sea. And so I think we can relate to the disciples in their uh, predicament. Because uh, often we feel like we're alone in life. That we're facing uh, our circumstances on our own. And we wonder in these moments, you know, where is God at in all this? What's God doing? Uh, why, why, is it, why am I dealing with this challenge? Why am I experiencing this pain? Why am I experiencing this hurt? Uh, why can't life just be easy? It seems like uh, life is just always, is, is always hard. We get through with one thing and, and face one hurdle and, and overcome one hurdle. And then we have another one that, that comes upon us. And so we just wonder, why can't life be easy for us? And so that, and I think this is our, our problem oftentimes. We find ourselves uh, in these moments like this in life. And so I think our text speaks to that this morning. It reminds us uh, that we're not alone. Uh, we're not alone uh, in the world. It, it, this, our text speaks to our loneliness, to our difficulties. Uh, and it reminds us uh, that, that God is with us. Uh, and so our text gives us the answer to this problem of feeling alone when we feel like there's no one there to help us. And we're facing uh, life and its circumstances all, all by ourselves. And so I think we can take encouragement from uh, this story this morning of Jesus uh, walking on the water. And as we move towards that and work towards that answer, we're going to be asking at least three, three questions as we go through the text. And the first is, is what, what is it that happens to the disciples? Uh, we, if you notice in the Gospels, anytime 
that Jesus is apart from his disciples. They're always uh, getting themselves into some sort of trouble. Uh, think about it later on when Jesus gets arrested and is taken away. The disciples flee and, and they claim they don't know who he is. And Peter denies Jesus three times. And then back in Mark 4, uh, when the disciples were on the, on the sea again, when Jesus fell asleep. And in one sense, they were separated from Jesus because Jesus was asleep at the time. This, this great windstorm arose and they began to panic and worried uh, that Jesus didn't care about them, uh, that they were perishing. And so the situation is no different in, in Mark 6 as we come there this morning because uh, Jesus has immediately, as we uh, mentioned earlier, has, has sent the disciples out onto the sea. They're all alone and, and, and they've been sailing on the sea for some time, uh, making their way slowly. Uh, the text says making headway painfully. Uh, that word painfully it could also be translated as, as uh, tormenting, causing severe pain. And so basically what it means is the disciples, they were having a hard time. Uh, out on the sea, they were making no progress, and this this hard wind uh, was blowing against them. These were not ideal conditions for sailing. They were helpless in the face of this strong wind blowing against them. Uh, they were probably tired and exhausted, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier. This story uh, took place uh, in the evening after Jesus fed the five thousand, and if you remember, just before that, Jesus had had sent his disciples out on uh, basically their first missionary. Um, mission on behalf of Jesus and so they come back from that and they, they go to rest and they, they get interrupted by these uh, uh, large numbers of people coming and, and wanting to see Jesus and so uh, Jesus feeds them, he turns uh, the bread and the fish into enough food to feed 5,000 and so the disciples throughout all of these excuse me, these period of events uh, have, have not had a chance to, uh, to rest and so now they're out on the sea and, and, and they're not uh, making any progress. They're working hard, but they're getting no results. Uh, maybe, like, maybe you felt this way even this winter when uh, we kept getting dumped with snow uh, week after week and day after day. No matter how, much, uh, how hard you worked uh, to clear your driveway or sidewalk, uh, snow kept coming. And you'd get it cleared and then more would come. And you have a big snow pile that just... You just had nowhere to put it after a while. Or, or maybe even like in, in the story I mentioned earlier from uh, my experience in banking, the, uh, the harder I worked, the, the longer the line uh, kept getting. It didn't get any shorter. And so I think oftentimes in life, uh, we find ourselves in these, in these uh, circumstances where no matter what we do, uh, life uh, seems to not get any easier for us. And so there are always challenges uh, in front of us. For example, uh, maybe you replace your furnace one week and then only have the next week have your AC to go out or something else in your home. Or you, uh, you work hard as a parent to, uh, to bring your child up in the Lord and to, uh, to read Scripture with them, to bring them to worship, to bring them to Sunday school, and, and only to see them walk away uh, from the faith later in life saying, I don't believe in God. Or maybe uh, you, you pay off one bill only to have another financial uh, uh, challenge appear. Or maybe you battle health challenges and you turn the corner with one diagnosis only to have something else pop up. It's like you, we, we feel like we can't ever get ahead. Or maybe you even struggle to believe if God really exists. Is he real? And if he is real, does he really care about me? Does he matter for my life? And we all face different challenges in our lives. And these are just a couple of examples. We all face different things in our lives. Life is never easy uh, this side of the fall. And so as we, as we see the disciples' uh, situation in, in our text, uh, we see that they find themselves in trouble. 
uh, and and they're on the sea. They're fighting against this uh, this this strong wind. And so as they're as they're fighting against this wind, and they're making no progress on the sea. Uh, they've got to be wondering, and maybe you're wondering as you read this. You know, what's Jesus doing uh, in the midst of all this? While all these events are taking place. Uh, with the disciples, they're facing uh, this this hardship. Where's Jesus at? Because remember, he's not with them at this time. He's back on the shore. He's back on the land. Uh, he's gone up on a mountaintop to pray. And, and his disciples are all alone on the lake. It's the middle of the night. It's dark. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. And you can imagine the frustration that the disciples felt. Uh, they're, they're probably thinking, here we go again. Uh, trouble comes to us, and, and where's Jesus at? He's abandoned us again. Uh, he can turn the loaves and the fish into enough food to feed 5,000, uh, but he can't even be present to help us out on the sea. And so it seems like Jesus is ignoring them, and maybe that's what the disciples thought. And so we wonder, um, you know, why is it there the disciples are alone on the sea? Because remember, uh, Jesus had to, had to send them away quickly and get them away from the crowd. He didn't want them to be influenced by the crowd uh, and, and because they believed Jesus was this military uh, Messiah-type ruler that was going to come in and drive out the Romans. And so he didn't want his disciples to be uh, influenced wrongly by this crowd. And we even see in verse 45, Mark tells us uh, that, that it appears that the disciples seemed a little reluctant to leave because uh, in verse 45, talking about G- Jesus, it says, He made. In other words, he strongly urged or had to force uh, his disciples to leave, and he directs them away from the crowd. So it, it gives us this uh, insight that you know, the disciples wanted to stick around and, and see what all this uh, the uproar was about. But Jesus knew that he had more ministry. He had more ministry and teaching to do with his disciples. And he couldn't risk them getting caught up in the revolutionary mood of the crowd. And so he sends them out immediately onto the Sea of Galilee. And he dismisses the crowd and he goes up on this mountaintop to pray. And it's probably, as you read this, maybe even thinking, you know, why does Jesus go up on the mountain to pray? It seems like an odd time for him to go uh, and, and spend some time alone and pray. But um, if, you, if you look at the gospel accounts, you know a number of times Jesus spent time alone uh, praying to his Father in heaven. And so he needed this time alone uh, to pray to the Father. Because uh, remember, uh, back with the, uh, the crowd from the feeding of the 5,000, uh, they wanted to make Jesus king in, in, in this... Um, uh, revolutionary militaristic sense of, of, of kingship. And so what Jesus is doing here by going up on the mountaintop to pray is that he's protecting himself. He's protecting himself from temptation because Jesus uh, uh, is, was fully God, but he was fully human. So he was subject to temptation, uh, but he did not sin. And so he needed this time away, though, to, to reaffirm uh, his mission, the mission that his father gave him, to go and be uh, a servant Messiah, to sacrifice and give himself for the sins of the people. And so what Jesus is doing here is, is demonstrating his human nature. He was subject to temptation, but yet without sin. Hebrews 4 tells us that. Speaking of Jesus, uh, the writer to the Hebrews says, One who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so Jesus, again, was subject to temptation, but the key is he did not sin. And that's why he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins, because he did not sin. And so Jesus needed this time away to reaffirm uh, what God has sent him to do, to be the servant Messiah. But the disciples, they have no understanding of this. They have no clue to to who Jesus really is at this point uh, in, in, in the gospel accounts and in their time with Jesus. They don't know. They're confused. And they still don't understand uh, who, who Jesus really is. And they possibly are even wondering if he really cares about them in this moment. Again, it's because they're out on the sea. Uh, they're fighting against this strong wind. 
and, and life and their circumstances seem to be going against them. And, and this is how we feel, I think, a lot of times is when life and our circumstances are going against us, we wonder, uh, is, where's God at in all this? Does God really care about my life? Does God really care about me? Uh, maybe in your family you have conflict with, with family members and you have really hard and difficult relationships uh, with family members. Maybe you have a child that says they don't believe in God and you wonder, where's God at in all of this? Or maybe in your work you're uh, attacked, you're criticized by coworkers, sometimes rightly, sometimes wrongly. Uh, your boss isn't satisfied with your work. You don't get the promotion uh, that you were hoping for, that you applied for. Uh, you don't get the residency or the fellowship uh, that you applied for. You lose your job maybe to cutbacks or some other other factor. Or maybe you're just facing a challenging uh, time of uh, season of work and where things just seem to are really difficult for you right now. Or maybe you're in school and, and school's very difficult for you right now. You're not getting the grades you hoped for and you're wondering, you know, why am I spending all this time in school and uh, to, uh, to get this degree and, and I'm not uh, getting the grades I need. And so, you know, where's God at? In all of that. Or maybe you're a high school student and you're finishing high school and you don't get into the college that you prefer to, of your choice. And you're wondering, you know, God must not care about me. Where's God at in all this? Where's God at work in all this? Why should I believe in him? Or maybe your health. Maybe, maybe you've received a, a troubling diagnosis or you're continually having various health challenges and you get down about them. Maybe you're depressed or whatever it might be. We wonder a lot of times when life hits, when our circumstances seem to be going against us like that wind was going against the disciples, we wonder, why is this happening to me and, and where is God at in all of this? When things like this happen, we wonder, does God really care about us? Does Jesus really care about us. Just as the disciples may have been thinking that same thing uh, on the Sea of Galilee many years ago. We wonder, does Jesus really care about us when life seems to be going against us? And in April of 1999, I was a senior in high school, 18 years old. I was planning to go to college next year uh, at Erskine College. It's a small school in South Carolina. And uh, and so I had to applied nowhere else and uh, I'd only applied to Erskine College and so my parents set me down in April of 99 and let me know hey we're not gonna be able to do this this just isn't gonna work and and so there's two things to know at least about Erskine College is one it would be it was out of state because I was uh, living in Georgia at the time and then two it's a it's a private college and so those two factors combined makes it expensive to go to and so it just didn't work out for us and so as an 18 year old at the time it's like the world's coming to an end because I can't go uh, to the college of my choice and and I think you know this is just the worst thing ever and looking back on it now it just seems silly that I was so worked up about this but in the moment uh, it was a big deal I was pretty upset about it, and I was wondering, what was I going to do now? You know, why is this happening to me? Does God care about me? And like I said, it seems silly now looking back, but at the time, it, it was a big deal. And, and I know that, uh, you know, we deal with a lot harder things than that, and maybe you can relate to a, a similar experience of your own in these moments where um, life just doesn't work out the way uh, you want it to. And, and you think maybe in those moments that God doesn't care about you. Uh, maybe just like the disciples are thinking they're on the sea. Uh, as they were as they were facing uh, trying circumstances, 
And so, uh, so how when we when we face these moments of difficulty in our lives, how does how does Jesus respond? How does Jesus respond to the disciples' circumstances? Uh, is, and, and I think the thing that stands out though in Jesus' response is in verse forty-eight. It says he came to them. Jesus came to his disciples. He's not ignoring them. Uh, like they might have been thinking, like we might have been thinking as we read this. But Jesus came to them. He came to them in their time of need. He came to them uh, in the middle of the night, somewhere around 3 a.m. Jesus comes to them, uh, the fourth watch of the night. And he comes to them with compassion, uh, much like he had compassion on the crowd uh, back in, in where he fed the 5,000. And it reminds us that Jesus comes to us in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our circumstances. But even more interesting, it says Jesus came to them walking on the sea. Now this isn't something we see every day, a human being walking on top of the water. Scientifically, it's impossible for this to to happen. But Jesus uh, is no ordinary human being, right? Jesus is not any ordinary human being. He's fully God, fully man. He was God come in the flesh. And so there's no doubt that Jesus was walking on the water. In fact, uh, the Greek uh, preposition that's, that's attached to that word translated walking uh, means to walk upon, to walk on, to walk on top of. And so this was not an illusion. This was not some trick of Jesus. Jesus was actually walking on top of the water. And so what he was doing here was he was identifying himself with God. He was identifying himself with the God uh, in the Old Testament that, that could walk on the water. Job chapter 9 tells us uh, that God alone trampled the waves of the sea. And so what Jesus is doing here is, is walking in places where only God can walk. And so he's identifying himself with God as he walks upon the water. But it's even stranger thing, uh, Mark reports, is that Jesus meant to pass them by. And so Jesus meant to go past them. That seems kind of odd, too, uh, for Jesus to do. And so, but to understand that, you've got to consider uh, God's actions in the Old Testament. Uh, in Exodus chapter 33, when God came to Moses, uh, he wanted to pass by Moses uh, to, to reveal his name, but also to reveal uh, his compassion, his mercy to Moses. In that account, it's, um, God's word says, I will make my goodness pass before you and, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's revealing himself as God in in the flesh. He's identifying himself with God the Father. And so the disciples see Jesus coming, uh, meaning to pass them by. And and they thought Jesus was a ghost. Uh, They were terrified. They were scared. They had never seen anything like this. They thought Jesus was a ghost, a phantasma, a spirit, or an apparition. And they had no normal categories for this appearance of Jesus walking on the water. They had never seen anything like it. And so what Jesus was doing here uh, was he was revealing some of his glory uh, as God the Son. As the second person in the Trinity, Jesus was revealing uh, some of his glory to the disciples as as he passed them by walking upon the water. And as he does that, he comes to them and he says, in verse 50, he says, he reassures them. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And these are the same words that we need to hear. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. These are the same words we need to hear when we face circumstances in our lives that are going against us. Just like the disciples were. It was was the the words the disciples need to hear. It's the same thing that we need to hear today is that. Uh, that, that Jesus is with us and, and, and do not be afraid. That's what we need to hear. And these words assure us as Jesus comes to his disciples. And as he says, 
take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus is again identifying himself uh, with God. With God the Father. Because back in, again, back in Exodus, in chapter 3, when God revealed himself to Moses, he said, I am who I am. God was, was disclosing his name to Moses. I am who I am. And you catch the connection there? Jesus says, it is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. And then God saying back in, in Exodus to Moses, I am who I am. And so not only is Jesus... Uh, connecting himself and identifying himself with God by what he does, by walking upon the water. But he's also uh, identifying himself with God's name. I am who I am. It is I. And so Jesus is echoing uh, God's word to Moses, revealing himself as God, as one with God uh, to his disciples. And so as Jesus comes to them, uh, the wind immediately stops as he gets into the boat. Uh, the wind ceases, just like uh, with the calming of the storm back in Mark 4. Uh, the wind ceased. And so basically what Jesus is doing here is he's answering the question uh, that the disciples asked at the end of Mark 4 when they said, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? And, and Jesus is answering that and saying it is, it is God. It, it is uh, God in the flesh. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the one who rides the waves and calms them. It is I, uh, the I am. Do not be afraid. And so Jesus tells them this, and of course the disciples, uh, they don't understand. Their hearts were hardened, Mark tells us, in verse 52. Uh, they still didn't understand about the loaves. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing there. Uh, they didn't understand when Jesus passed by them on the water and walked upon the water. And so they're continuing to miss who Jesus is. And they don't get it. They just see uh, Jesus walking upon the water as, as a miracle or a marvel. Or some, you know, some type of magic or something like that. that. They're, they're failing to see past the event. And they're failing to see uh, the secret uh, behind Jesus' person. That he is God come in the flesh. Walking upon the water. Trampling the waves of the sea. And so what we see is that Jesus, uh, when his disciples are in trouble. Uh, and when we're in trouble, he reveals himself to us. He, re he revealed himself to his disciples on the sea. He reveals himself to us. Uh, in, in our moments of, of, um, of trying circumstances today, God reveals himself to us. And so what do we, as we look back on, on, on the story this morning, what do we learn uh, about when trouble hits, when trouble uh, comes in our lives, when challenging times are upon us, what do we learn? What can we take away uh, from the, the story this morning? What's the story telling us? And so to do that, I go back to uh, the story I, I started earlier back in April of 99 when I was a, a senior in high school, 18 years old. I was devastated. I thought the world was coming to an end uh, because I didn't get to go to the college of my choice. And like I said, I recognize that we go through much harder things in our lives, and I've experienced much harder things in my life since then. But at the time, this was a, this was a big deal. I couldn't go to the college of my choice, and so I thought the world was going to end. And so uh, I had not uh, applied anywhere else, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, this is why I tell uh, students today, apply to more than one place, because you never know what's going to happen. And... Uh, and so, anyway, I had to, uh, my parents and I had to scramble, and I got into Augusta State University there in Georgia. I went there for a couple of years, and then in the fall of 2001, uh, I transferred to the University of Georgia in Athens. 
And uh, shortly after getting there and arriving in town, a friend invited me uh, to this thing called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. And, and so I, I'd never heard of RUF. I'd never heard of the PCA church. I had no idea uh, what this was. Uh, but I started attending a Bible study. We were going through uh, that first semester there. We were going through uh, Genesis. And so I began to uh, read and study uh, with this group of guys. Uh, these these stories about men like Noah and Abraham and others who, uh, growing up in Sunday school, growing up in the church, you thought were uh, men who were perfect, men of great faith. Uh, they didn't do anything wrong. And as you really start studying the Bible, you realize these guys messed up too. They were sinners, but yet God showed his favor to them and showed his grace to them, and they were saved by faith. And so, so God just began to work on me through this, this time and this Bible study uh, with this group of guys. And, and he really began to show me my own sin, the ways in which I fail. And uh, just really began to show me uh, the gospel. And I really began to understand the gospel. I joined the church when I was, was 15 years old. Uh, but I would say in that fall of 2001, I really uh, understood the gospel at that point. Uh, God really... Uh, revealed himself to me during that time. And so I'd always say if I wasn't a Christian prior to that, I knew I was after that fall of 2001. And so so from there, during my time in RUF and the church I was attending, I gained uh, an appreciation for ministry, which led to uh, go, pursuing seminary later on at Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, which eventually led to ministry here uh, in Rochester at Trinity. And so God was at work through all of this when, in an event that I thought uh, was was a bad thing, not getting to go to the college that I wanted to go to. God sent me elsewhere, and he was at work through all of that. He was in control through all of that. And that's what he was teaching me, uh, that he was in control. When it seemed like events were bad, uh, God had other, other plans for me. Now, looking back, uh, it's easy to see God working through a disappointing time. But in the moments, when we're in these moments of, of trying and difficult circumstances, uh, we don't always see that. We worry. Uh, we talked about that earlier in, in from Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. We worry, we doubt, uh, we feel all alone. We wonder, is God really with us uh, in these moments, in these trying times? And I think we can answer with an affirmative yes from our text this morning. God is with us because the I am is with us. As Jesus reveals himself uh, to his disciples, he identifies himself with God. I am. I am is with us. I am. The God of the Old Testament is the one who heard uh, his people's cries. He heard his people's cries when they were in slavery, when they were in bondage in Egypt. And he, with a mighty hand, he came and he came to them and rescued them from slavery and brought them into the promised land eventually. And just as, as God did that in, in Egypt, in the Old Testament, he came to his disciples in, in, in the person of Jesus when they were in trouble on the sea. And he's also the one who graciously healed the sick. Uh, that came to him. At the end of our text, in verses 53 to 56, we see uh, Jesus going into the next village in the towns, and it says, as many as touched it, talking about Jesus' clothes, his garments, uh, were made well. And so we see uh, that God comes to us. He's a God of compassion and grace. And God is with us uh, today. In all of our troubles, God is in control. Uh, we don't always understand how he works, but he promises uh, to be with us. We see that in his word. And he's teaching us uh, as we go through these challenging times, these challenging moments. Uh, he's teaching us about who he is, but he's also teaching, uh, teaching us. He's changing us. He's sanctifying us uh, as, we go through, uh, as we go through troubles, as we go through hard times in life. He's teaching us to rely on him, but he's also teaching us uh, 
how to, how to trust him. And he's also showing us our faults and, and our shortcomings. And he's, again, he's, he's, he's sanctifying us and, and making us more and more uh, into his image as, as, he, uh, as, he, as he meets us in these challenging moments in our lives. But we see, though, that God is in control. He's in control in the boat. He's in control in the moments uh, of, of hardship and difficulty in our lives. Now, and I don't know all the things uh, that you all are going through. I know many of you are, are going through hard things, and I, and I know some of the things you are going through, but I don't know all the things uh, that you are going through in life right now. And sometimes I know there are no clear answers. There are no easy answers uh, to what we face and go through in this life. But God is working through those challenges. As hard as that is for us to believe, God is working uh, through the challenges that we face in life. He's teaching us about who he is, that he can be relied upon, that he can be counted upon. Uh, Even when you feel all alone, God is with us. The I am. God is with us. He is in control. He will not abandon us. And we we can have assurance of this because we know that God did not abandon us on the cross. When Jesus hung and died on the cross, God did not abandon us. Uh, But he willingly gave his life so that those who believe might have forgiveness in life before the Father. And so what what seemed like a dark time when Jesus hung and died on the cross, when he was hung on the cross between two uh, Roman criminals, it seemed like a dark time. But even in that dark moment, God was at work. God was at work reconciling the world to himself through Christ. And so when we meet and and face challenging times in our lives, we can trust uh, God in the midst of these trying times when our circumstances are challenging because we know uh, that God is for us. God uh, gave His only Son so that we might have life. And so we can have confidence that I Am uh, is with us, that He is in control and that He's going to take care of His people because He says, and this is important for us to remember as we go out from here today, just as He said to His disciples, He said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Those are the words we need to hear when, when life hits, when, when trying times come upon us, when hard times come, come upon us. We need to remember that, that it is I. Take heart. Do not be afraid. These are the words that Jesus uh, told his disciples. But it's also the same words that he speaks to us today through his text. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. In other words, he's saying he will not abandon us. But I am is there with us as we go through uh, these trying times in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that uh, you would encourage us. As we go out from here today, that you would, we thank you for reminding us uh, that you are with us. Uh, just as you were with your disciples many, many years ago, you are with us today uh, in, in various and different ways. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in these moments and you would remind us uh, that you are there. Uh, that, we can, uh, that we cannot be afraid knowing uh, that you are with us. Uh, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And uh, we ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. What is your greatest fear? What is that thing that would keep you up at night? Jesus says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And it certainly applies to what ought to be our greatest fear at times that comes into our hearts and our minds. Could God really accept and love me even though I'm such a sinner? 
Could God really forgive me again of the same sin? And Jesus answers, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's what we remember as we come to this table. The Lord's body and His blood given for us as His people. Jesus stands in front of us and says, Take heart. Be encouraged. It is I. I am the one who have given myself for you to pay for your sins and to give you my righteous record, to credit that to your account, how will I not also be with you and give you everything that you need? If you're here this morning and you are resting in Christ, and the words of Jesus, of what he says a little earlier in Matthew, come to me all who, are la- all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If those are the words that make your heart sing, because you are resting in Christ, you've put your faith in Him, you are trusting in Him, you are resting in His completed and finished work on the cross alone for your acceptance and your forgiveness of your sins, and you've made a public profession of that faith here at Trinity or another church that believes the gospel and teaches God's word is true then come and eat and drink and as you do remember Jesus's words it is I take heart do not be afraid and also know that as you come in faith the Holy Spirit's at work taking what we're doing here and giving us strength so that as we go out this day whatever this week holds for us He will strengthen us for the tasks ahead. Let's pause for a moment and thank Him for giving us this table, this means of grace. Our Father in heaven, we come before you and we're thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on our behalf. We know that it shows how much you love us. And yet, Father, we are so prone to doubt, prone to wonder, prone to wander. So we pray, Father, that as we once again come to this means of grace, that you would feed us and nourish us, remind us with the truth of your word, give us the strength we need to believe it and to trust and to rest in it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.